0: Revelation twelve, verse one. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven before, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a wrought iron, and her child was caught up to to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. There was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his great have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them woe in the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened the mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, so the title on this one is The Dragon, and we'll listen to the audio now.
1: Chapter 5, The Dragon. Golden light danced around the angels as they gathered in the second heaven. The vast assembly waited expectantly as Lucifer, the greatest and most beautiful of the archangels, made his way to the front. In moments, he would take his seat at the head of the great angelic Congress to report God's latest instructions to them. But instead of mounting the steps to the marble dais, Lucifer took aside his closest aide, Michael, an archangel himself. The Congress will have to wait, Lucifer said. Dismiss the assembly. We must speak immediately. Michael made the announcement, and the gathering dispersed leaving the two archangels standing alone. Michael could see by Lucifer's dark countenance that he was not here to discuss a light matter. You are troubled, Lucifer. What has happened? As you know, I have just returned from the high heaven where God is enthroned. He has revealed to me his most recent project, a vast and daring one. He has created a new physical world. Beneath the lowest heaven. It is utterly glorious, perhaps the most beautiful thing He has ever made aside from ourselves. He is populating this world with a new race of creatures, and He has modeled them after Himself, granting them intelligence, free will, and creativity. He will charge them with the rule and care of His new world and infuse them with His own spirit. Lucifer, you baffle me. Why is this not good news? Why does it disturb you? Why does it disturb me? I'll tell you why, Lucifer shouted. God wants us, his angels, to minister to these new creatures. We are to be messengers to them, protecting and assisting them in their little endeavors. How can he expect us, the highest order of creatures in all of the universe, to stoop so low as to become errand runners and servants to inferior beings? We should be ruling them, not serving them. I tell you, Michael, this is not to be born. A short time later... Lucifer reconvened the great council of all the angels. When they were assembled, he mounted the steps of the dais and addressed the legions of mighty beings before him. He first explained the new assignment God had charged them with, and then, to their amazement, he spewed out his disdain. We run God's errands. We watch over and protect his creation. Why should we be required to forever submit to his will and stifle our own? I tell you, my oppressed comrades, we must not accept this degradation any longer. Hear me, and hear me well. We possess the power to seize the throne of God. Michael, positioned in the first tier beneath the dais, stepped forward immediately. My dear captain, Think about what you are saying. Have you forgotten who we are? Like these newly formed earth beings, we too are God's creation. He gave us a vital role in His universal kingdom and made us to find joy in serving Him. Who are we to defy our Creator? As the debate between the two mighty archangels escalated, so did Lucifer's rage. His rising anger began to infect some of the angels in the assembly. And as he ranted on, the rebels' cries swelled until a great chorus of voices echoed their leader's outrage. Such vocal support bolstered Lucifer's belief that he had won the unwavering loyalty of the other angels. At last, he raised his hand, and the entire host fell silent. Your affirmation confirms that you are with me. Therefore, I call all of you to battle, he commanded. We will dispose that arrogant tyrant who humiliates and oppresses us. We will take his throne, and we will make his high heaven our dwelling place. Are you with me? His words were met by a roar of assent. Lucifer, however, had miscalculated his support. The angels who had cheered him on were merely the most vocal ones, numbering only about one-third of the whole. But Lucifer remained undeterred, assembling his army and leading the march forward. He immediately found his way barred by Michael, who had rallied the rest of the angels against him. The two armies clashed in a titanic supernatural battle. Michael's army drove the rebels back and hurled them from the second heaven. The fallen leader heard the voice of Michael speak from high above him, Lucifer, you have been my friend, and it grieves me deeply that you have severed our unity. You have chosen hatred over love, pride over humility, evil over good, and darkness over light. Therefore, God has decreed that your name shall no longer be Lucifer, the bearer of light. From this day forward, you shall be called Satan, the adversary, no longer will you be a creature of love and beauty. You will be a dragon, a hated, loathsome creature whose utterances and deceptions will deliver those who heed you into eternal fire. In an instant, a smoldering Satan sat brooding beside a stream on the newly created planet. One thought obsessed him. How can I spike God and regain power? After a great deal of scheming, he arose and called his lieutenants to him. He presented a detailed plan by which they could wrest from God the new world he had made, annihilate its inhabitants, and make it their own domain. While it is much too small a kingdom for a being of my stature, he bragged, It will serve as a power base from which we can launch subsequent attacks until we have wrenched the entire universe from the hand of God. But how can we do this? One of his minions asked. You told us that God has placed his own spirit within the two humans. That gives them power we cannot overcome. Satan smirked. When God explained this new creation to me, he said that if the human couple ever disobeyed him, his spirit would depart and they would die. Our task, then, is to get the man and woman to disobey God. I will deceive them into thinking he is not their benefactor, but a selfish tyrant. Satan left his lieutenants and disguised himself as one of the more cunning earthly creatures. And using a mix of lies and half-truths, he seduced the couple into rejecting their Creator. But to his consternation, they did not immediately die. God confronted them with their disobedience and revealed the pain, sorrow, and eventual death that would come as a result. But he also promised something their seducer had never anticipated, that one of their future descendants would restore all they had lost, and would crush Satan's head. When Satan heard this prophecy, new outrage boiled in his heart. He charged a full battalion of his fiercest demons to conduct a guerrilla war to prevent the promised Redeemer from coming. Throughout the centuries, they attacked the family, the kings, and the nation charged with bringing God's promise to fruition but neither Satan nor his legions could keep the promised child from being born. It was in the reign of the Roman Emperor Tiberius when Satan's battalion leader came to him with news that a man named Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River. "'What makes you think he is the one?' Satan asked. "'When he emerged from the water, a voice from heaven proclaimed him to be God's own son.' For 30 years, he was known simply as Jesus of Nazareth, but his true identity has now been revealed. This Jesus is the one we have been fearfully awaiting. The devil immediately transported himself to the Jordan River. He arrived to see Jesus walking alone into the barren wilderness between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. Satan followed him until he stopped on a desolate plain where no vegetation grew. For forty days he watched as Jesus fasted and prayed. The adversary thought to himself, Now that he is weak and hungry, he will grasp at anything I offer. To Satan's surprise, Jesus offered no resistance as he approached. They say you are the Son of God. Why should I believe it? If it's true, it should be easy for you to prove. You are famished with hunger. Merely turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread, and I will believe you. It is written, Jesus told his tempter, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan then took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Surely your angels will save you. Look at all the people in the courtyard below. If they saw such a miracle, think how quickly they would believe in you. Once again, Jesus refused. Finally, Satan took him to a high mountain where he conjured up a panoramic vista revealing all the great kingdoms of the world. As he swept his arm over the magnificent view that lay below them, he said, All this is yours to rule if you will but fall down right now and worship me. Then, in a voice charged with power and authority, Jesus said, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. When Satan returned and sat before his council, no one dared ask if his attack had been successful. The fury on his face told them everything. The council sat silently and wary until their leader addressed them. There is no doubt that this Jesus is indeed the Son of God. If we do not get rid of him, and soon, every plot we have devised since our exile will come to nothing. Worse, if this Christ comes to power, he will seek to drive us from this world as we were driven from heaven. A voice from among the gathered demons moaned, Everything we've tried has failed. What else can we do? We can change our tactics, Satan replied. Since we cannot prevail against Jesus directly, we must work covertly. We know from God's prophecy to Adam and Eve and others that Jesus is the Messiah sent to save humanity from the death we inflicted on them. If we can deceive the Jews about his purpose and make them doubt that he is their promised Messiah, they will turn against him. But how will we do that? One of Satan's henchmen asked. We must use the national and religious pride of their leaders, especially the Pharisees, so that they perceive Jesus not as the Messiah, but as a fraud out to undermine their power. No doubt, He will try to gain their support with wise words and miracles. So we must blind their eyes to the good he does and make them envy his growing popularity. Nothing infuriates a Pharisee so much as the thought of someone usurping his influence. The Jewish leaders were indeed easy to manipulate. A spark of jealousy over Jesus' growing influence had already ignited in their hearts, and for the next three years, Satan and his followers fanned that flame into a burning passion for Jesus' death. The devil saw victory looming on the horizon. Determined not to let it slip from his fingers, he entered the fray himself, inciting the avarice of one of Christ's closest companions. It was the night of the Jewish Passover feast when the dragon made his move. As Jesus arrived at Mount Olivet with three of his disciples to pray, the very atmosphere felt ominous. Satan could see legions upon legions of angels hovering low over the mountain. While Jesus prayed, Satan persuaded Judas to lead an armed band of Jewish officials to Mount Olivet. Once there, he was to identify his master with a kiss of greeting satan had found nothing to celebrate since his fall but the irony of using a kiss an expression of love as an act of betrayal was the closest he'd come yet jesus was arrested on the spot and taken directly to Annas, the high priest for trial at satan's prompting the high priest put jesus through a sham of a trial using false witnesses and trumped up charges then Annas sent him for final judgment to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. The following morning, Jesus was brought before Pilate on the steps of the Roman garrison, the Antonio Fortress. A restless mob of Jews had already assembled to watch the proceedings. Satan knew that Pilate was weak. He was afraid of offending the Emperor and losing his position, and equally afraid of offending the Jews and causing a riot. It soon became apparent that he did not want to execute Jesus. Instead, he attempted to appease the bloodlust of the Jewish leaders by having Jesus scourged and then released. Satan sounded the alarm to his troops. Quick, descend en masse into that mob. Stir them into a frenzy of hate. I want them so enraged that the governor fears an outright insurrection. The demons did their job. Soon the air rang with furious voices shouting for blood. As their master expected, Pilate yielded to the pressure and gave Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. As Jesus writhed on the cross, Satan gloated in triumph. When he heard God's own Son cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And finally watched his tortured body emit a last rasping breath. Satan's exultation knew no bounds. Satan gloried in the finality of it all. He had succeeded in thwarting God's plan. Humanity would not be redeemed. Their champion had been destroyed. The earth was ripe for the taking. Satan burst into a spasm of laughter that rang long and loud throughout the halls of hell. Three days later, while Satan was conducting a mass assembly for his fallen angels, A sharp noise, like a fierce wind, interrupted his words. Its volume increased until it became almost unbearable. A blinding blur of light rushed over them and exploded through the massive gates, shattering shards of stone and splinters of mighty beams. All that was left of the gates of hell was a gaping hole that was now belching black smoke. The force of the impact knocked all the demons to the ground. Shrieks of terror filled the hall as they lay there cowering, too afraid to rise. Cease your howling and pull yourselves together, Satan bellowed. Jesus has escaped, and death, our most potent weapon, has been wrested from us. We could not hold the master of life. He has broken the chains of death, and you can be sure that he will now reunite with his body and break out of the tomb in the same way. What can we do? One of the demons cried. First, we must face reality, Satan's voice was grim. We cannot win against God. Even if we slaughtered the humans and flung their rotting carcasses all over the globe, Jesus would simply resurrect them as he has been resurrected. Our doom is sealed. But here is what we can do, Satan's voice grew louder. We may go down in the end but we will leave a wound on God by taking down as many of His precious humans as possible. We can still make their lives miserable. We can still fill them with disease, grief, pain, and conflict, and for some, eternal death. We must stifle all thought of our inevitable end and redouble our efforts despite the God we hate. In the succeeding centuries... Satan and his rebels enjoyed spectacular successes. Yet his frustration grew. Whether he persecuted Christians outright or misled and deceived them, he could not destroy them. The truly dedicated ones wore supernatural armor that his evil could not penetrate. Furthermore, these Christians prayed, an activity the adversary could not It seemed that God always responded to their pleas for help, whether in the manner they expected or in some more glorious way. Even when we kill them, they defeat us, one of them complained. When we separate them from their bodies, God's angels snatch them away and escort them to safety. In desperation, Satan abandoned all caution and began to set the stage for his last hurrah a global persecution of God's people. Sensing that his end was drawing near, his craving for adoration and worship welled up again, even stronger this time. If he was to satisfy that original lust, it must be done soon. Blinded by his belief that he was God's equal, Satan did not realize that everything he did was actually an imitation, a grotesquely distorted replication of God's works. His whole strategy was nothing but a counterfeit of his rival. This pattern of imitation finally led Satan to manifest himself in human form. He knew it would be impossible to reenact the wonder of the Incarnation, however. Instead of becoming a baby, he identified a rising political leader of power and influence— who had demonstrated his loyalty by ruthless tyranny, and he offered him what he had offered Jesus, dominion over all the kingdoms of the world. The man eagerly accepted. Satan provided him with an accomplice, a false prophet whom he endowed with supernatural powers that enabled him to function as an evil caricature of God's Holy Spirit. Now Satan, too, was a trinity a diabolical trinity made up of the devil, the Antichrist, and the unholy spirit. Satan's influence in the world grew to an unprecedented scope as his two human accomplices deceived the masses with their spectacular success. Soon they overtook entire nations and by deception or force led the people of the earth to worship Satan. They imposed severe penalties on anyone who refused. With such power now in hand, Satan moved his two agents to abandon all subterfuge and openly inflict persecution on God's people. He released the full power of his demonic horde and they indulged their hate in a rampage of slaughter and destruction. Satan, now heady with success, began to rethink the inevitability of his doom. He boasted to his closest accomplices, God's people are now a mere remnant, and ours include the leaders of all the civilized nations. With the few surviving believers cowering in caves in remote jungles, the only people God's favor remains upon are the Jews. We have the strength to wipe their malodorous little nation off the globe and secure forever our grip on the earth. Acting on this grandiose vision, Satan moved the Antichrist to amass the largest army in human history and march against Israel. What he didn't know was that he was marching to his defeat.
0: The uh, if As you want, you probably already turned to Revelation chapter 12, so we'll kind of walk through this. If you have your outline, you may not get an outline that needs one. we got a few. All right, Jim, while you're back there, could you grab a few outlines right off that... Walked in just in time. Will you raise your hand if you didn't get an outline, and we'll get Jim some exercise Must he brings it up here. Thank you, Jim. The uh, Just kind of as a way of maybe reference point uh, to think through this is that in Revelation 12, this great uh, war that we'll get to is... Uh, not the reference to the fall of Satan. So we see the fall of Satan in Isaiah 14. If you want to make a note of that, we're going to not necessarily look at that tonight. Uh, Isaiah 14 and then also in Ezekiel chapter 28. Um, And so prior to this event that we're going to go through here this evening is already the fall of Satan. Then also, if you see, when you go through Scripture, you see that Um, Of course, in Genesis chapter three, when with the fall of man, that was after the fall of Satan, and so Satan still had the ability, right, to tempt. He was on the earth. He tempted Adam and Eve. Uh, Then you see in Job chapter one. Remember the the story of Job when um, when Satan went to the Lord, and what did Satan ask the Lord for? permission, right? He asked him for permission. Um, And so he was in the presence of God, right? And so it wasn't that when Satan fell that he was necessarily bound to a specific location, okay? And so we see that in Job. You see it in Zechariah when he is accusing Joshua. Then you see in Matthew chapter 4. What happens in Matthew chapter 4? Where is Jesus, or excuse me, where is Satan present? And I gave you the answer in Matthew chapter 4. Yeah, when he tempted Jesus, all right, and so <clears throat> then we we'll get to here in a minute in chapter twelve where he's kicked out of the second heaven and banned. Where is he now? Banned to the earth, okay. And so just kind of making sure we understand the the timeline there as we as we walk through this, all right. So the first point, point number one here, the great sign of a woman, all right. So. Let me just read the first uh, verses 1 through 2 and verse 5 again. It says, Now a great sign, again we're in Revelation 12, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor, in pain to give birth. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. All right? So I think there's some, a lot of ideas on who this woman is okay but let me read a few scriptures and then we'll if you don't already know the answer we'll give the answer right so isaiah 66 if you want to reference this or write it down i'm going to read them so probably time to turn there isaiah 66 7 through 8 before she was in labor she gave birth before her pain came she delivered a male child who was who has heard such a thing who has seen such thing shall the earth be made to give birth in one day Or shall nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Um, Another passage, Psalms chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Psalms 2, 8 and 9. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And then Revelations 19 verses 15 and 16. It says, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule with a wrought iron. He himself treads the wine presses and the furnaces and of wrath of Almighty and wrath of Almighty God. And he is on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of Lords. All right, so do we have any idea who this woman is? Maybe have an idea? You can say it out. Yeah, Israel, right? So if Israel is the one giving birth, the female, then who is Israel giving birth to? Messiah, right? Jesus. Okay, so take a second to look at a few scriptures. So this, it's interesting in, in Revelation 12, as we read. She look at verse five, if, you're, if you have your Bible open there. "She, being Israel, bore a male child, the male child being who?" You don't sound very confident, being who? Jesus, all right? Who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne." And in, those, in that one verse you see on your outline there you see three different things. right? First, His incarnation. So what's, what's the incarnation? What does that mean? It's God becoming flesh, right? Uh, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Remember, the angel came to Joseph and said, You shall bring forth, she shall bring, you won't, Joseph, she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22 of Matthew 1. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through prophets, saying, Behold... The virgin shall be a child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. John 14, verse 1, talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And then we're not real clear on who the Word is until you get down to verse 14, and it says the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us, all right? So again, this is references to the incarnation of Christ, which Revelations 5, she bore a male child. Right, so again, uh, referencing the incarnation of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death Of the cross, and so verse five we see the incarnation. The second one there on your outline is uh, his ascension, right? So let's look at verse five again. She bore a male man, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and His throne, right? So the ascension, referencing really in Acts chapter one. Uh, Remember Acts chapter one, they're standing there watching, and Jesus ascends into heaven right and what did they come and say to the men of galilee as they're watching jesus disappear ascend into heaven what did the angel say to them why you stand here watching this same jesus who's taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven all right so the reference there at his ascension of what to come the second coming right um, and then we look at scripture, other scripture. Mark sixteen nineteen says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Acts 7, verse 55 and 56. But being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Again, reference uh, to Stephen being stoned there. Right. So we see his ascension. We see him returning, or his incarnation, his ascension, and then see there on your outline is his second coming, right? So again, verse 5, Revelation 12, She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And so the rod of iron, ruling the nations of a rod of iron, what is this referencing? Yeah, his second coming, right? I just told you guys the answer, all right? His second coming, his return, okay? I know you guys are like, I'm confused. All right? His second coming. All right, so turn a few pages over to Revelations chapter 19. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one, except himself. No one knew except himself. He was clothed, the robed, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he will strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his robe and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When the second coming of Christ comes, will it be at all like the first coming of Christ? Won't, will it? Uh, and really, this is what uh, the Jews were looking for. They kind of skipped the first coming. They were looking for the second coming, right? They were ready for someone to set. They were ready for Jesus, the Messiah, to set up uh, his kingdom. All right, so let's move on. We're running out of time quickly. Number one is the great sign of a woman. So we're saying, as we see in Scripture, the woman being um, Israel and then the son being Christ. The second one on your out hand here, then the great dragon. All right? so you have uh, their... On your outline, um, these really, uh, under Satan's power, There should, probably on your outline, should be a little bit uh, clearer what that's trying to say is that um, the first column there, light of the world, king of kings, prince of peace, Lord my God, lion of the tribe of Judah. Who's that referencing? Jesus, right? So on the other side is the counterfeit of that. Right, and that's what what Satan, the deceiver, the accuser. He's counterfeiting the angel of light, king over children of pride, prince of the power of the air, god of this age, roaring lion. Right, and so Jesus referenced um, when he was talking to the Pharisees in John 8:44, referenced Satan. Here's how he referenced him: You are, you are of your father, the devil. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees. The desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it that's a pretty strong condemnation of who satan is isn't it? very strong in verse 9 of the text we read in revelations 12 i will just read that one it says so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil, Satan, who deceives the world, who was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Um, And if you look through scripture, most oftentimes uh, Old Testament would refer um, to the dragon here as Satan. The New Testament often would refer to him um, as the devil, right? Satan being our adversary, the devil being the accuser or slanderer, right? So we see those roles of Satan um, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, let's see looking through um, some references. Um, kind of skipped over really quickly over Satan's power there, A, but looking at B, Satan's partners. Um, Isaiah 14, verse 12. I don't think the reference is there on your... Um, outline You might want to write. There's a few references here. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Revelations, verse 12 and 4, as we just read. His tell drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon it was born. Alright, now let's look in Matthew, another reference here, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, "Apart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. So is the devil, as we understand, is our enemy, correct? Correct. All right. And is the devil acting alone in his attack towards you? No, it's something we as Americans don't talk about a lot, do we? That the, the third of the angels who fell with him, are they bound? Are they free? And what is their responsibility currently? Nobody wants to say it, right? Right? The devil, so Jesus reverends the devil an angel. Ephesians 6 12, and this will be a familiar verse. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What is what is, or who is Paul referencing in Ephesians chapter 6? It's these fallen angels, isn't it? Right? It's these fallen angels. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against there's. And again, we in our culture don't like to talk about it much, do we? And I don't know that I really want to spend a lot of time talking about it or really even investigating it. But uh, I know uh, I'm not going to put him on the spot back there, but Mike could tell us some crazy stories about things he's seen or heard of. And you, you see a lot of or hear a lot of more of these stories in other cultures. Um, but s- spiritual warfare is a real thing, isn't it? Um, and I love the reference in the drama that we listened to. Um, he, he referenced, did you catch what, what he said uh, when he was talking about Satan as he was attacking the believers? He said they had they were wearing something. Do you remember what he said they were wearing? The armor. What's that a reference to? They're putting on our spiritual armor, right? And to think, I, I don't know, for some reason, I hearing it on that drama, it it just kind of brings it to life to me. You know every day is a spiritual battle, isn't it? And every day Satan wants to destroy you. And every day we need to do what? Put on the spiritual armor of God, don't we? Ephesians two one through two says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses in sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Again, a reference to the spirit of Satan and the angels, his angels, the fallen angels. Uh, The word would be a demon, right? And again, we don't want to use those words often, right? Um, Here's a real quick quote, and then we'll move on to, as we move on. So we've got his partners, see there is his purpose. From the very beginning, Satan's purpose has been to destroy the child of the woman. So when you think about the attack that Satan has here in Revelations 12, and and really you see all throughout history Satan's attack on the Jewish people. If, if If the woman spoken of here in Revelations 12 is the reference to the nation of Israel, and the male child being born... Is Jesus? Then, from the perspective of Satan, why is it so important for Satan to destroy the Jewish people? If you go back to Genesis chapter three, the fall of man. What did Jesus? What did the Lord say to Satan about what had taken place? What was going to happen in the future? Do you remember? Yeah, he's. I'll read it for you because I always twist them. I'll read it so I won't mess up. Well, I can't promise that. Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. So the seed of the woman shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his hill. So from that moment, what was Satan's purpose? What was he, what was he trying to accomplish? To eliminate, to eliminate Christ. That Christ would... this male child born from the nation of Israel would never take place, right? And it makes sense, doesn't it? That's his enemy. That's who he's trying to destroy. Um, I want to take a time real quickly. I think I can read it quickly, but I think I can read it better than I can paraphrase it. So let me just take a second to read. um, Talking again in references uh, of Genesis 3.15. Satan began his campaign to eradicate the promised seed, Knowing from prophecy that the promised one would spring from Israel, the adversary did everything he could to keep the nations from being formed. He incited Esau to attempt to kill his brother Jacob, who would father the twelve tribes of Israel. When that failed, he incited Pharaoh to murder all the Jewish boys in Egypt. Had either Jacob or Moses not survived, the nation of Israel would never have existed. At one point in Israel's history, Satan almost succeeded. The promised redeemer was to come from the royal line of David. After David's descendants, King Jehoshaphat died, a series of intrigues and murders eliminated the entire Davidic line except King Isaiah, I don't know how to pronounce that, and his family was also murdered, and the queen mother usurped the crown and killed all of his children, finally ending the royal line, or so she thought. The high priest wife managed to hide his youngest son, Joash. Until he could be crowned, in that little boy, the lone male survivor of Israel's royalty resided, the promised seed and the ultimate purpose of God, found in Second Chronicles twenty-two. Thwarted but undaunted, Satan incited the wicked Haman to plot the extermination of all the Jews. But God raised up Esther for such a time as this to expose Haman's scheme, and promised seed was spared. When the prophesied child was finally born, Satan instilled fear and in the hatred. Or, excuse me, fear and hatred in King Herod, who had all the babies in Israel, in Bethlehem, murdered. He thought that surely the promised seed would be slain in this insidious act. But the sovereign hand of God intervened and direct, directed Joseph to flee with his family to Egypt, thus sparing Jesus' life. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, Satan confronted him in the wilderness with three famous temptations in a dramatization. But Jesus rendered his adversaries powerless, the sword of the spirit the word of god and so you see all throughout the old testament and even into the new testament satan's goal was to destroy the seed of the woman right Um, and so let's move on to satan's purpose to number three the great war right the great war So again, somewhat similar reference here. Verse 7 says, "And a war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Again, so it's a reference here that he wasn't expelled necessarily from heaven at the fall. Okay, So now he is, verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out, with him, Daniel number Daniel chapter ten also reports ongoing battle between the forces of good and evil, and again, this reference in the in the um, dramatization about the power of prayer. Do you believe in the power of prayer? How many of you um, would say that that maybe currently you have a maybe it's through experiences through life experiences or spiritual experiences that you have a stronger um belief in prayer now than you did previously. Anyone to testify that? All right. Good. How many of you feel like um there's still room for you to grow in that area? Okay, good, cuz I got both my hands up, right? Uh, uh how many of you uh Know of someone that you just feel like when they pray, it seems to mean more than when you pray. Anybody feel like that, right? Um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm one that would tend to to not put enough emphasis on prayer. I tend to lean towards God's will be done, right? and I'll just walk away, right? It's much quicker that way, right? But there's something when you when you look at the prayer of Christ in the garden, he ended up to the point, the same point that I I want to get to first, right? God and your will be done. But there's there was this sense of passion in his prayer, wasn't there? This sense of communication. And I think to my own fault at times that I want to bypass that. And I think that's one of the most important things, isn't it? The, and, and so to think that as I pray, that that spiritual is spiritual warfare, isn't it? That my prayers, do, do my prayers have more power than Satan's angels and demons? Yes or no? Yes. Is, is Satan out to destroy your life? Can, can you destroy Satan in your own power? No. doesn't. I mean, just to answer those few questions, does it not place a higher importance and value on prayer? So maybe I need to ask myself those questions every morning, right? To think that um, my prayers have power over Satan and his demons... Jesus, the name above all names, all authority on heaven and earth, given to who? Jesus. And so I don't stand against Satan in my power, because you and I will fail. I stand against Satan in the power of who? Jesus. Has so in the end, we we all, you know, we've read the end, right? We know that that Jesus wins in the end, but has Jesus already won? Yes or no? So, I mean, we know in the end Satan will eventually be done away with, right? But does Satan have power over you as a believer currently? If you give it to him so do we already have victory in christ so satan's he's already been charged hadn't he he's already been found guilty he's already been judged um, one would reference this is i'll just read it. it says the verdict is in but the execution of judgment is in the future All Right. so turn to romans chapter 8 we're going to kind of conclude it with this, all right? So we're running out of time. Romans 8. So I think we look at the study of Revelation and, and it points to, um, again, this idea that we win in the end and everything is great and so on. But, but I think sometimes we fail to, to realize that victory is not just something that's going to happen, victory is something, if you're in Christ, that's already happened. And that we can live in the victory of Christ. We don't have to live defeated. And I think oftentimes we forget that um, because we maybe we lose a battle, or we we we're like me, we don't pray as often as we should, or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, if we are believers in Christ, we already have the victory. We have victory, like the old song said, right? Victory in Jesus, Matthew, or excuse me, Romans chapter eight. Um, let's see, look, verse thirty-one. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It's a pretty awesome verse, isn't it? It's the whole gospel right there, isn't it? And then it goes a step farther to say, Jesus is praying for you verse 35 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation distress persecution famine nakedness peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all the day long we are counted asleep for the sheep for the slaughter yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we have victory in christ already don't we and that's what in John 10:10 10, 10 says, "I came to give you life and I came to give you life more what? Abundantly. And I think too often as Christians, we're not living in the abundant life. We're not living in the victory that's ours. We're, we're maybe thinking, well, one day we'll have the victory. And that's ultimately the truth. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, victory is yours. Now, it's a future reality, but it's also a present reality. Verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are, are you living in the victory that's already yours? Why do we... Why do I... You can ask yourself the question. Why do we let Satan defeat us? He's already lost. The moment that Jesus came back to life... Victory's ours, isn't it? Let's live in the victory that we've already been given. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Aren't you thankful that, as Scripture said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Let's live in the victory Jesus has given us. Let's live every day putting on our spiritual armor, going to battle, because we've already won. Aren't you thankful for that? God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. Lord, I th- I'm thankful for the, the gift of grace and salvation and mercy. Lord, I'm thankful this evening that it was a gift. Lord, that I didn't have to do anything to earn it, and I don't have to do anything to keep it. Lord, I pray that you would help us as um, we live each day in a fallen world. We are attacked each day by a fallen creature. That we would live in victory that you've already given to us. That we rest in the power of Jesus. And Lord, that you would use us for your, for your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen.